Welcome to Podcast, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Thank you for joining us. Those of you who have been here this month know we're using Matt Kahn's book, Everything is Here to Help You. And last week we broached the touchy subject of our negative experiences and emotions. And you'll remember the challenge was to begin actually seeing them as a signpost for change. So when we have something that happens to us that's negative, you know, the emotions may well up in terms of sadness or anger, in terms of whatever, whatever might be up for you. And rather than perhaps reacting in uh, some untoward way, instead it's the call for recognizing, wait, something actually does need to change here. How might I change my life based on this signpost. Well, today I want to move a little further into the idea of processing our emotions. So remember last week we used the very generic statement, well, first we'll process the emotions and then, and did you notice how I didn't actually explain how to process emotions in a helpful way? When you think about processing emotions, someone might say, well, yeah, I processed emotions and really let her have it, (laughs) right? And someone else might say, well, yeah, I processed those emotions and I was in bed crying for two months, right? So, so let's talk a little bit more about this idea of what it means to actually, in a healthy way, process our emotions. And of course, I have a marvelous joke to lead us off with that idea. So the aspiring psychiatrists were attending their first class on emotional distress. Let's start by establishing some of the broad parameters, said the professor. He turned to the student from Arkansas and asked, what's the opposite of joy? Well, sadness, said the student. And the opposite of depression, he asked of the young lady from Oklahoma. Well, that would be elation, she said. And you, sir, he asked the young man from Texas, how about the opposite of woe? The Texan replied, well, that would be giddy up. (laughs) And so this reminds me, this reminds me of a couple important things. First of all, it reminds me that our processing of emotions doesn't necessarily come from ourselves. Most of us were trained on how to process our emotions. And primarily, I would guess, from our families of origin. And if you'll think back at an early age, didn't you get your cues from perhaps how your parents and siblings process their emotions? And, and if you talk to a range of people about expressing emotions, you'll get everything from, well, my family was like the ice kingdom. You did not express emotions. It didn't no matter what it was. They were simply not things that were expressed. Or, or you'll talk to someone else and, oh my gosh, my family, we yelled and screamed and it was no big thing, right? It was just how we, ex- I mean, everything from soup to nuts and everything in between, uh, we learned how to process our emotions. And then, of course, we went off to school. And then we learned uh, there are different ways of processing emotions from what my family did. Well, I'm going to suggest today that we look at processing our emotions for what actually feels right and is right today for us as individuals and adults. We have the actual chance of reprogramming ourselves in how we deal with emotions. And, and I'd like to talk about it the way that Matt Kahn does in terms of passive energy and active energy 
when we're dealing with our emotions. So let's take a, and it really represents an interesting scale where too far to one side or the other side can spell trouble. So first of all, for too much passive energy, that's where we would really let our emotions really put us in the position of being the victim. And you've probably been there before uh, when something just so heartbreaking or cruel happens and you, you actually kind of go with that feeling and you, you really see yourself as the brunt of some universal angst and, and statements like things never go right for me and, and I'm, I'm always the one that has to take care of this issue or, or whatever it might be. And it can be associated with all of the ranges of emotion. If it's sadness, you want to you just pull in and see the world as just such a, a negative and sad place. Or if it's anger, uh, you pull in and, and, and that, that sense of rage is fostered in you. But the idea is that, that passively you're saying, there's nothing I can do about this ever, so I'm the victim. Then on the far side of things, the, the, the too active side of processing our emotions is where we do those knee-jerk reactions and immediately start thinking, I need to do something about this. And so when that moment of anger comes out, we really do lash out, whether it's physically or verbally at someone else, uh, in the heat of the moment or in the sadness of the moment, we make decisions that probably aren't in our best long-term interest based on that needing to do something something about it. Now the middle ground, of course, is that place that we, we want to favor when we're actively and positively processing our emotions. We do allow ourselves to feel it. It's not that, that cold family where you never can say anything about your emotions. No, on the contrary, you feel uh, able to share your emotions with other people, say what's going on for you, recognize that something did happen and it had an effect on you, uh, but we don't go to the extreme of saying, therefore, I'm a victim of the circumstances. Do you see the difference? It's it's something that's flowing through us. It's not something that we're going to get stuck in. We're not going to start defining ourselves based on what happened or what you felt about it. Because when you do that, you'll actually re-trigger yourself. You'll actually internalize that. You'll, you'll think of all of the many times you've been in the victim in the past and bring that into the present. And you, oh my gosh, that's when it feels hard to crawl out of bed in the morning, Right. So we don't want to identify ourselves with what happened. We don't want to say, I am the victim in these circumstances. I have plenty of options. Similarly, we don't want to go to the other side. We want to stay in that middle ground of just observing what happened. And there's some questions you can even ask yourself to see if you're in the middle. One question that I find useful is, is my emotional reaction in alignment with what happened? Or is my emotional reaction way over the top compared to what literally happened? And here you can test yourself for that. Was it the one last straw? Are you familiar with the, the last straw metaphor where your spouse or a friend does something that maybe isn't the kindest thing in the world, but you don't say anything? They're your friend. And then a couple weeks later, they do something uh, pretty similar. And you're like, well, shoot, is this a theme or something? But I'm not going to say anything. You know, I, 
It's like, I love this person. And then a few weeks later, oh my gosh, you got to grit, you got to grit your teeth through that one, right? Because it's like, she must know how that feels. (laughs) But still, I'm a polite person. I don't need to carry on about it. And then all of a sudden, your friend does something that isn't even particularly awful at all, and you just erupt like a volcano, right? So that's the last straw. Usually that is when you have been way too passive about saying, wait a minute, this bothers me. Let's talk about this. So how you process your emotion has a couple different parts. First of all, you feel the feeling and that's out of your control. For about a minute and a half to two minutes, you're going to just feel pissed off or sad or angry or whatever. It's just the logistics of your mind triggering biochemicals in your body. You just have to sit and hold your breath and it passes, right? The good news, though, after that point, you get to start making the choices. You get to start taking the evaluation. Wait a minute. Is this useful for me to amp up this feeling of anger? Am I going to do something? Do I need to take action? Or is it time for me to let it go? And here, again, we want to take that middle ground. We don't want to be stuffing our emotions. And at the other time, we don't want to be acting rationally on them. So ask yourself again the question, is what happened, is what I'm feeling appropriate? Or am I maybe, unbeknownst even to myself, playing it out as grand opera when I ought to reel it in a little bit? Or am I stuffing it when in reality it's actually important to feel those emotions? And I think you'll get a handle on it. We're not used to evaluating our emotions. And so the first few times you do this, you might find yourself laughing at yourself or like, what am I doing? You know, what emotions am I feeling and how strong are they? And, you know, the kind of questions that come up with you. So, so allow it to be playful. Allow it to be something that you're experimenting with. Because I think only through feeling the emotions and evaluating will you find that central path and feel good about being in that central path. And then you'll start actually correcting yourself. You'll say things like, oh my gosh, Larry, did you really say that? All she did was whatever. (laughs) Where did that come from? Oh yeah, it reminded me of these other things. And then the quick apology can come. Or on the other side, it might be, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just got, I'm going to say something. You know, normally I wouldn't say anything. And, and so you recognize you're, you're not in the middle ground. The middle ground is to notice when people do things that are inappropriate and deal with them in a, in a loving and straightforward way, affirming what your boundaries are, affirming how you like to be treated and so on. And so with practice, that middle ground will just become who you are. And you'll no longer feel like you're having to bottle in things, and you'll no longer also feel you're inappropriately reacting out of anger. It'll simply be that middle ground where you take care of business when that emotion presents itself. Now, when the emotion presents itself, when we do that level of healthy healing work around it, then the author of the book says there's something yet more that we can do, something extra special. And it can only happen when we are on the middle path, when we have recognized the emotion for what it is and the value it brings. Then he says you can ask the golden question. The golden question can be asked as a daily spiritual practice 
or it can be applied during moments of stress and emotional upheaval. No matter how it is called to be applied, it assists us in unhooking from the burden of victimhood by considering a viewpoint that only the soul can see. The golden question, what if the worst things that happen to me are my greatest opportunities? What if the worst things that happen to me are actually some of my greatest, my golden, if you will, opportunities? And he goes on to talk about this almost as though it's a brainstorming exercise. Is everyone familiar with the idea of brainstorming where you just generate a whole lot of ideas on a certain subject and you try not to censor yourself? You try not to say, well, that's not going to happen or that's not going to work. It's like anything's possible. It really, in fact, is relying on our creativity to generate a field of possibilities and positive possibilities. And so his idea is we've, we've allowed that reaction, that initial emotion to process through our body. We take that middle ground. We don't overly try to uh, stifle our emotions, nor do we become reactive. And we come to that calm place where we can generate a new field of possibilities. What are the infinite possibilities that this negative thing that happened or was said or whatever it was that brought it out might actually be something wonderful in my life? And, and I'll take an example that I bet nearly everybody here has been through at one time or another in your life. So I'm just going to assume that everyone here at one point in their life was either fired or let go of a job, or, or uh, retirement was strongly hinted, or, or ha however layoffs, or however they're phrasing it uh, these days. But I bet everyone here has gone through a time in their life when they didn't have a job. What are the feelings that come up for you? Isn't it almost terror? It's like something has been taken away from you. There's that anxiety that maybe comes with, well, you know, I've got a rent to pay. I've got people who are dependent on me, right? It brings up our sense of insecurity and whether it's a tightness in the chest. Uh, if you were fired, it might bring up anger too, right? Those so-and-sos, how dare they? The whole range of emotions may be implied uh, depending upon how it was handled and how you felt about it and so on. Now there's the temptation, isn't there? to live in that place and be the victim. These people were so awful, I don't deserve that, right? And it can color your ability actually to get your next job or, or, or to be adequately placed in the future. If we, if we take on that mantle of victimhood, the world starts looking at us like a victim too. And let me tell you, when you go into a job interview playing the victim, what are your chances, <laughs> right? So that middle road, that ability to say, wait a minute, I'm going to process this emotion. Yes, of course I'm feeling hurt. Yes, of course I would freely tell other people I'm a little bit scared. Fear is up for me, but I'm processing through it and I'm already starting to generate the possibilities for the future. And here's where that idea of the golden question comes in. What if this is the best thing that ever happened to me? What are the infinite possibilities for good that exist? I could go back to school. I could take my old employer up on their job placement services. I could get a job that's even better than the one I have now with more benefits. 
There's an infinite variety of possibilities at hand. I hadn't really thought about retiring. Maybe I could. Maybe I could go to part-time work somewhere else and the, and, and the job would be a little easier to take on. Maybe I can get a job that's more to my liking or where my skills are involved. Do you see, we can generate probably an infinite number of potentials of how the future, based on us getting fired, could be positive, could be a blessing. Now, some of you might be saying, well, all right, Larry, this does sound a bit Pollyanna-ish, though. It's like, and I know, Larry, you like to always see the bright side of things. Uh, and I agree with that. But, but aren't there realities to be met here? And I would say, of course there are. And let's not eliminate the realities from our thinking of the future. But my fear is synonymous with reality is the worst thing that can happen. What I observe in people is, is when they start ruminating or thinking about what's going to happen because I lost my job, it's not an even-handed mental dialogue. More often, people are on the worst possible thing that can happen. I'll lose the house. You know, uh, now that I'm not earning money, my partner isn't so excited about living with me. I mean, the whole gamut of craziness. And so I'm just suggesting again that we take the middle ground, that we make sure as we're planning for what might happen, we include wonderful things might happen. Not just the worst case scenario. If you have to go there, go there. I'm suggesting though we ought to at least have some equanimity around the possibilities for the future that we demonstrate. And when we take the middle road with our emotions, when we ask the golden question, what possible good can come from this, then, and perhaps only then, we'll be poised to sail through this upset actually with good things to come from it. You'll be in that place of, of security in knowing that the future can be as brighter, brighter than the present. You'll have that sense, I, I hope, of authentic power and knowing that you're not the victim, that you have choices, that the future can be even more pleasant. And those are the kind of attitudes you want to have when you're going in for a job interview. Let us make sure that when we're reacting to a negative circumstance after we process the, our emotions, that that golden question comes up. Now, don't get me wrong, you may still be having to fill out unemployment uh, forms and some of the things that don't seem so positive. Of course, uh, I'm not asking you to, to live in my pink bubble, although it is a nice place. <laughs> but I am asking you to not exclude the possibility of good. And what I observe is that so often when negative things happen to us, we immediately go to the worst case scenario. We immediately paint ourselves as the victim. We, we immediately see future trouble to come because of this. It's like we spin out the ideas and they're just all bad. <laughs> the favor I would ask you to treat yourself with is the golden question. What if this negative situation might propel me into the best opportunities of my life?
So today we've talked about processing emotions. Uh, we've recognized the kind of two-minute rule that, you know, we don't have any choice but to, to feel our anger or sadness for the first couple minutes. It's just biochemically how we work. That's okay. It's okay to talk about our feelings. We, we don't want to clam up about them or stuff them. We don't want to take that super passive role of being the victim, nor do we want to go to the far extreme on the other side. And when any little thing happens, we, we get reactive. And, and do things that we'll regret later. No, we're going to take that center path of, of admitting how we're feeling, noticing how we're feeling, also noticing that we're neither the victim nor the reactant. Here it is. Here's what I'm feeling. Interesting. There are reasons I'm feeling that. If uh, it calls for immediate action, we take immediate action. We recognize that that's going on. And then... When we're calm and in that place of composer, we ask the golden question. We're running out of time, but I want to use an example that's kind of up for me right now, and I bet it's up for you right now. How are we feeling about gun violence? Yes, exactly. And, and I would say this is another one where, depending on who you are, the full gamut of emotions. Some people super pissed off. Some people so sad beyond words that we're submitting ourselves to, to some of the things going on right now. Let us use this for a moment uh, as our teaching tool. So first, it's okay that we feel the emotion. It's okay that we tell our friends we're super pissed off or, or extremely sad or, or anxious for our own safety. Those are only natural feelings. We own up to them and we're okay with that. Next we see if our processing is balanced. Are we being the drama queen here, right? Are we dwelling and overplaying what has happened in our own lives? Think about that. It could be true. Uh, if we're on that middle path then and simply recognizing this is something that I do want to have some input into, I'm not on the one hand doing something crazy as a reaction, nor am I putting my head in the sand and just letting it happen. I have that middle ground. And then we can ask ourselves the golden question. What about this idea of gun violence that seems so prevalent right now, or at least more prevalent, what could be the gold out of this? And we generate lots of possibilities because the more ideas we have, the more that we're apt to discover something that will actually make a difference in the world, that actually will propel us because of its innovation and its creativity into something that might not only work for us personally, but for the world in general. And if we say stuck, that's not possibility thinking. Good is not apt to come from it. In fact, that's when we go onto social media and start doing things that actually promote more gun violence in the world because the focus is on the violence. The, the focus is on what we don't want to have and what, instead of what we do want to have. So what are some of the possibilities to answer this golden question? Well, one is that things are certainly visible and up for healing right now. Perhaps never more than right now, just about everyone in the United States of America has an opinion on this issue and wants to see some change. That is a huge positive. And no matter what side or, or what flavor of legislation or control or things like that you would want to see around it, almost isn't as important as the fact that it's all up for us. That's huge. 
That is huge. And then we begin uh, bringing up other golden opportunities here too. Uh, what are some of the, the millions of ways that we might address this through, through mental health, through gun control? Just looking in the newspaper the other day, I counted over 25 different efforts that would bring about some positiveness out of the issues that we're facing right now. And so then we begin looking at the, the possibilities, even generating some new ones we've never heard about. And then it's from the place that we can begin making decisions that will, first of all, make us feel better about our own situation and our own feelings in this effort, as well as allowing us to take steps in our communities, in our, uh, privately in our own homes, uh, if safety and security is an issue and so on. And do you see how first we had to get to that place of the middle emotional processing? If we're still feeling wounded, if we're still feeling the victim, we're not going to be able to generate a positive change out of this. And if we're in that completely reactive mood where we're swearing about the so-and-sos doing the, <laughs> right? Uh, similarly, when we're in that side of the equation, it's just going to be a, a knee-jerk thing and not something that will have positive benefits for us or society. But when we're in that middle ground, that's where we're creative. That's where we can ask the golden question. That's where all the difference in the world can come about. So the golden question might become a spiritual practice as well as a reaction. Now today, we have talked about when I'm in the moment of the, the fever, when the issue has happened, when I'm feeling the emotion, that's when I use the golden question. I would also suggest to you, it can be part of a spiritual practice. Even if something bad didn't happen, begin looking for the golden questions that are there always to be answered. How might my marriage be improved? How might my working conditions be improved? How might I ask the golden question about things that just don't seem quite right? doesn't have to be a tragedy. doesn't have to be something that really spins you out of control. But the little niggling hurts and woes and troubles that you have throughout your day, how might those also be helped by asking the golden question. All right, I'm going to close today with a bit of homework, a quote, and a prayer. Homework, take a negative experience that you've had or are currently having, verify that you've healthily processed the emotions around it, and then ask the golden question. How might this negative experience actually propel me into something really positive? Let me give a final quote from the book and a prayer. I accept that everything is here to help me, no matter how inconvenient, painful, confusing, or frustrating it may seem to be. Through the wisdom of the golden question, I allow the worst things that have ever happened to me to be embraced as the greatest opportunities that I may be given in the future. I allow my emotions to be felt wholeheartedly as a contribution towards my own healing journey as well as the healings of the planet. I am witnessing the many ways in which source returns to its true nature through the awakening of my emotional body. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one consciousness, one life. And I know that I'm part of it. I know that my consciousness is part of the divine, that my emotions are, are part of the clues and wisdom of all. 
I know that as I process my emotions, as I live my life, I'm doing so also on behalf of spirit. And so I speak my mind. I'm willing to listen to my emotional makeup, not, not to overplay it or underplay it, but take that middle path and recognize that my life is good, my emotions are healthy, and that I can use them to find even better ways of improving my own life. As it is true for me, I know it is true without question for, for everyone that each of us has that capacity for choosing the middle road, for really analyzing our feelings, feeling them, yes, using them as a signpost, yes, but not overplaying them, not underplaying them, allowing that middle ground to bring about the golden question. How might even this be used as a blessing? And so for this, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the, the hearts and the hands of spirit as it shows up here every Sunday. Grateful for life itself. I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.